Discover how to be a better boss in the virtual world, how to get the best out of your staff, and how to perform together as a team to build your online company. Hey everyone, welcome to the ins and outs of outsourcing, where we bring you enlightenment in offline and online outsourcing from around the globe. Whether you have a VA in the Philippines or employ a web designer in India, learn how to work together with your team to be a dynamic duo, whether you have a company of two or 200. Here's your host, Esther Anderson. Hi everyone, welcome to episode three. This week, we're discussing job descriptions, and this is the first thing that is going to put you on track and define exactly what you need and what skill set you're after. Many people draft up a job description that is actually not what they are looking for, very confusing for the candidate, which in turn confuses you, and the whole process gets backflipped because if you don't get your job description right, how can you expect the right candidate to come to you? So if you haven't already done so, I suggest you jump back an episode and go to our website and download the checklist. This will help you define exactly what you want. If you don't have the checklist or you're making your own, first of all, start with a full brain dump of all the things you would like your potential candidate to have. What skill set? List all the tasks to take from yourself. What are the things you don't want to do, don't do well or haven't got time for? List everything down and then put them in order. Mark them from the most important to the least and rate them. Drop them into skill categories and so then you can start building your job description. Be realistic though. Do you really think you're going to find a web designer with bookkeeping skills, administration background and can update your podcast as well? Maybe not. So you're better off finding one or two or three people that have the best skill set for that field than someone that does a mishmash of things. Cost versus value. What that means is you can employ someone very cheaply, but is it of value? Are they the right person for you the first time? Or are you finding that you're turning over staff at a great rate of knots and they're not really turning out quality work? So... Once you've got your job description drafted up with all your tasks, then look at how many hours that they're going to be working for you. What you would like to do is start out slow and build up. So you might, if you've never had a VA before, start out with five hours a week and just see how that balances. Then maybe 10 hours, 20. You may not need a full-time staff anyway. And they may have two or three employers, so that works well for them. Then, do you expect them to work the same hours as you, be online at the same time, or are you only going to catch up with them once a week and then just send them tasks which they can do at any free time as long as it is completed by the due date? When you've looked at all that, then you can start thinking about pay rates. So... What tasks do they need to do that requires training by you? Is it bookkeeping or your own personal filing? Do you have a process or a desk manual? Are you going to start from scratch and you don't know what you're going to get them to do, but just to sort stuff out because your desk is so unorganized? Your bookkeeping skills is basically a shoebox full of dockets. How are you going to get them to do that if they can't physically come into the office? A tip, 
I actually scanned everything the first time, just every single docket, and they worked their way through and built it. Now we have a much better system in place. The most common question I do get asked is pay rates. Do you want cheap or do you want qualified? At the lower end of the scale, maybe data entry or collating an address database or research for a list, their contact details, that's at the bottom end. And then at the top level, you might someone that's ultimately going to manage your calendar, your trips, answers emails on behalf of you, and ultimately manages you. So don't forget when writing a job description, what's in it for them? Is it just a job or do you want to start a lifelong relationship? When Myring came to work for me, it was the worst two weeks ever. Why? Because I then fully realised how unorganised I actually was. I didn't know what work to give her, what she was capable of. I was busy and I really didn't have time to train her. And she was more like a hindrance and annoyance. And she would be at the other end of my Skype line asking for work. And because it was quicker for me to do it, I would start doing all these tasks. And she was getting upset thinking that I didn't trust her. I thought I just didn't have the time. So over time, Myrene trained me to take on more and more of my work. And what really worked well for us was we used Zoom. And when I was teaching her something new, I would record it and then she could play back the recording as often as she needed to. And it's also something that can be used to actually design your processes later on. If you've never had a VA and you have a very busy, busy life, I suggest get a VA because you will not realise how unorganised you are or how organised you need to be to employ people. It's not just about them. It's also about you being trained at a boss. If you sit back as an entrepreneur and think one day I'm going to have the next Forbes 500 company, I'm going to be the CEO, you may be able to teach yourself with your product or your service. Your niche, you know that like nobody else does, but nobody is inherently deemed with the knowledge how to train staff. How do you manage employees? If you can't manage one, how do you ever expect to run a company with 200 to have the same work ethics, the same mindset as you? This is something you need to sit back and work on. Baby steps, employ a VA, then a project manager, and ultimately you will have an office full of people that all share your dream and your passion for your company. So now pay rates. What are you going to be paying them? $5 in the Philippines is different to $5 in India and $5 in Poland and $5 in Australia. The international global currency is US dollars. You may be in England or Australia or America. By using a common denomination like the US dollar, it gives you an understanding of what you're going to get. It's a little bit like the McDonald's test. Have you seen that comes out each year in the newspaper? How much does a McDonald's hamburger cost around the world? And they actually value currency by that. And I know Australia is not the cheapest and it's not the dearest. And uh, But there is quite a difference, a big fluctuation, and pay rates are like that as well. So now when you employ someone, 
are you just going to be working with pay, as in you pay them each week, weekly, or is there going to be a bonus system? You have to be aware in the Philippines, for example, they have a 13th month. So a month, usually December, for Christmas, they get an extra pay and that's a month's pay. So you need to factor that in with your costs overall. When you set up your video meeting, I suggest if you can, do your first interview with your camera on. Doesn't matter what you look like, but imagine if you haven't seen anybody. You don't know what they look like and they give you something to do and you have a working relationship. I'm actually surprised at the number of people that have never seen what their VA or their boss looks like after three, six, 12 months even. The majority of time, we only speak by audio. But if I have an important message to get across, I turn my camera on because then they can see my expressions. And of course, expressions speak louder than words. So on interview day, let them know in advance that you would like to see them if possible. And then for myself, I always wear a company shirt, sets the expectation. So we're going through our applications. We've posted our job description and the applications have come in. So when I'm looking at them, I always look for something that sets them apart. Then I let them know that they've been shortlisted and I'm going to do a video interview. Don't really, don't try and pull a Swifty and say at, on, during the interview, here's a quick question, blah, blah, blah. Let them know in advance. I always write the questions down, send it to them, and then they can prepare. One of the common ones is I always ask, what is their internet speed? What is their backup internet? And where is the nearest Starbucks or co-working location? That's often what they have to rely on. What is their work environment like? Do they have children? What time zone are they on? What hours can they work? Do they mind shift work because their day might be my night, versa versa? When you're looking at resumes, a good resume may not be a resume that you're used to seeing. I've looked at some and thought, I don't need to need see this additional information, but in their country, it's accepted or I have to go and find out things which are not written down. A lot of them actually have a photo of themselves. They talk about their qualifications, their education and their schooling and past employment. Referees are not so common. They may or may not supply referees. They may just give you examples of previous work and you need to make a decision based on that. But referees, you can always ask, is there someone that you could talk to but it's not often done in their country. When you're going to do your interview, have a few questions that are harmless questions. For example, tell me about the town that you live in. Where did you grow up? Something about your family. Have you ever traveled? Because if they get nervous and tongue-tied, at least you have something to talk about. Don't start the interview by going, right, tell me all about yourself. I suggest when you introduce yourself to them and welcome them to the meeting, appreciate that they made time to speak with you today, then tell them a little bit about your company. Ask them, did they, do they know anything about your company? Did they do any research? Which always gives you a good indication whether they're interested in the position or not. And then talk about your company, what it's currently doing, and maybe their aspirations and goals. 
When I first started writing job descriptions, I would get maybe 30 applicants because it was so broad. I didn't get specific with my details. And so the quality of candidates were not very good. I would at least have about 10 that would say when I would ask, why should I employ you in my company? And they would say, Skype me and I'll tell you. I don't think so. That was a straightaway, delete, delete, delete. When I was looking for a marketing manager, I asked them to sell themselves as if they were a product that I really needed to have for my company. And I only got three applications, but all applications were amazing. One in America, one from the UK, and one from the Philippines. And the rate, the pay rate was very different for those three positions as well. And if you are wondering, I actually employed the American at that time because it was a specific niche that I needed expertise in and that they had. I also state in my job description, I don't want any agencies applying. I only did that the once and I employed someone who I thought was them, but it wasn't until the first work day that I realised they weren't doing the work. They were the sales manager who then passed me to their team leader, who then passed on all the tasks to the actual employee who didn't speak English and couldn't understand what I was asking from them. That's why I don't like agencies. It goes through too many people. And when I want someone to be accountable for the quality of the work, I like it to be the direct person doing the work. If you're going to look for a web designer or developer or someone with skills in that, always ask for examples of work that they've done before. And it may be that you might even let them log into back end of a practice website that you have and ask them to show you around. A lot of people can see yes or no that they've had that experience, but are they actually understanding what you are saying? Sometimes sound and noise can make a difference when you're actually doing the interview process and they don't quite understand what you're saying and they'll go, yes, yes, yes. And they're, they're nervous. Think about that. The poor fellows are so nervous. And the first time I was so nervous too. So there was a lot of dead air, a lot of both of us saying yes. And it wasn't until we started working together that we understood that where we were going, we we had to sort that out. I always set my company boundaries first. So then they have a clear line of the kind of people that I would like to work for us. At the end of the interview, After we've actually chatted, I always ask them, do they have any questions? And at this stage, I may have not even have discussed the pay rate. When you post on a job board, you may say approximate salary starting from or wages, or they may be someone that you've picked on, tap them on the shoulder, and they say they may usually get $10 an hour. So you kind of know roughly what the amount is. And that is actually not a question that I want to be part of the first meeting. I want it to be about their skill set and whether I'm the best fit for their company. And then I always round it up, thank them for their time and say, we'll be in touch. And it's only then that if we go to a second interview and say, congratulations, we've employed you. These are the conditions. That's a chat you need to have so they understand what are they working for. But that we talk about at a future episode. When you're writing a job description, 
you really need to be specific. For example, you're not just going to say, I need general VA duties. But if you write something, for example, Happy Medical Clinic is looking for a senior virtual assistant with advanced computer skills in office software, fluent in English to communicate with clients, some bookkeeping and data entry work, background knowledge in medical practice and advantage, work hours starting at 20 hours per week and building to full-time 40 hours, must work our hours, time zone, PST, duties include, and I list those. That way they know straight away what is expected of them should they apply for the job and what do they need to do. If you write a broad job description, don't expect to get someone with the exact skill set you need. It's like opening a shop and saying, everybody's my customer, come in and buy. But when they walk in, there's nothing there except perhaps a wooden breadboard. And not everybody came in to buy a wooden breadboard. You have to be specific. So after I've selected somebody, I usually put them to a test. So, but this is a paid test. And so I'll employ them for two hours and give them a task or ask them to provide some content or whatever it may be. Now, when I pay them, let's say they normally get $8 an hour. I will say, okay, would you work for me for just two hours, $4 an hour, so I can do a test to see if you're a good fit, and then we'll review it. So after that, they've passed the test, then they get employed. Now, because they wanted $8 an hour, I may actually only offer them $6 an hour. And it's not being cheap and nasty, but I like my team to feel appreciated. And when you say by underpaying them, they feel appreciated. Actually, it does because I have their pay linked to KPI results. So if they meet the requirements, they've got their $6. If they do above and beyond and exceed their expectations, they will get the remainder of the amount as a bonus. Every two months, I pay out the bonus. And then that way, it gives them something to strive for. They feel appreciated. And I don't want someone that takes it for granted. In my company, I want them to believe in our company and put in as much with our company. That's the biggest thing. It's all about relationships and having them work as hard as you do with the same beliefs as you do by your side. So then when your achievements in your company happen, you've got someone to share it with and they feel they take it personally like it's their achievements as well. So once they've done their test and they've passed with flying colours and you employ them, I usually put mine on a probationary for about a month or two months. And then that way we say, make sure you're a good fit for us. We're a good fit for you. Give them the respect that they deserve. But when they come on, we have an onboarding process. They sign an employment contract and a confidentiality agreement. And after all, you may be a company of one, but if you cannot be professional with your own staff, how do you expect them to treat you as the next Forbes 500 CEO unless you live, dream and act the part? Thank you very much, folks. Next time, we will talk about onboarding your new staff, and I look forward to seeing you then on the ins and outs of outsourcing. 
Head over to our website, insandoutsofoutsourcing.com to check out all the resources available for you and your team. Connect with us on Facebook and ask your questions in the group. We look forward to you joining us next time on the Ins and Outs of Outsourcing.